come out of the tunnel and, and see the, the Rose Bowl that full. I remember after the game, walking down, like almost in tears, getting to the payphone to call my parents back home to say, you have no idea. I started the game, played, we won. This is For the Love of the Game, hosted by old school college soccer coaches, Ralph Perez and Ray Reed. Between these two, you're listening to 81 years of coaching college athletes, nearly 900 career wins, five national championships, and approximately 17,546 names in their contact lists. On this podcast, they grab some of those names and talk about what's going on in the soccer world today. In this episode, Ralph and Ray are talking with Chris Armis. Chris has played and coached the game at every level, but we'll just share some of his highlights along the way. In college, Chris was named an NCAA Division II First Team All-American his senior year. At the pro level, he was named a USISL All-Star while playing for Long Island, winning the league championship. While he played for the Chicago Fire, the team won their first MLS championship and he was named to the MLS Best 11 four consecutive times. He later was an assistant coach for that team, head women's soccer coach at Adelphi University, head coach of the New York Red Bulls, head coach of Toronto FC, and assistant coach at Manchester United. And like Ralph and Ray, he's also from Brentwood, New York. Here they are, Ralph, Ray, and Chris Armas. You know, Chris, you obviously, your career speaks for itself. But I, I guess, you know, to me, if you could share with our audience just what it was like for you to grow up, where you grew up, and how did that really help you going forward from your youth when you went on to that great career that you had? Well, firstly, uh, to both of you, thanks for having me on the show you know, equally. I mean... Uh, the respect I have for you guys. I've told you that in the past and I'll, I'll say it again. You guys are two, two people that I've looked up to as people and as, as soccer people. You know, what I would say is two things that back in Brentwood where I grew up, we grew up, that I think helped me was probably first and foremost my family, the values of of many people in Brentwood from that town, of hard work, actually fighting hard for for everything. And, you know, some say you have to fight for every inch. Well, that's how I was brought up. My parents did it that way. My dad worked hard this way. And we we had to come home with good grades. And, and we truly, you know, that saying of if you're going to do something, do it right. That was, it wasn't from a manual, but my dad and mom, they spoke that way and they meant it. So you know, I really credit them first and foremost. But then when you got together with the other kids in the neighborhood, it was seemed to be similar values and messages that were coming from their homes. And I lived outside, essentially. You know, I, I grew up playing ball in the streets. Whatever sport was going on, I was playing. And I learned a lot of lessons out, out in, in the playground or at the park or at the field. Football, soccer, baseball, street hockey, wiffle ball, you name it. I was out outdoors playing and and the community had a lot of that going on every single day, 12 months a year. So I think it was the two elements that really gave me the platform to succeed in my life so far. Well, you know, one of the things that and you mentioned, in a, there's, a, there's a banner there that, uh, as you mentioned, family and hard work. And I think that's pretty much the same for all three of us. But one of the things that I really think that really separates you from Coach Reed and I, obviously, you had a hell, hell of a playing career. 
And if you could just talk about that next step when you left, you know, St. Anthony's and then you went at the whole decision of where next, you know, I'm sure you had options. You chose Adolphi with coach Bob Montgomery and, and that experience. I know Adolphi is very close to you and dear to your heart. Well, yeah, it was interesting enough. It was between truly Southern Connecticut with Ray Reed and Bob Montgomery at Adelphi and coach Reed. And I won't forget it. My family doesn't forget it. The recruiting experience that he provided me, um, come to the house and really present Southern in a, in a good way. And that was even another level of what Adelphi presented at the time. It was really a question of, you know, I knew Bob Montgomery through the, uh, he had coached me when I was 13, 14, 15, and there was a certain comfort level there built in already. And it was close to home at the time. It was, wasn't looking to really go away. So although I lived on campus, the, the best of both worlds experience was, was right for me at the moment, but yeah, it was a big decision. I don't think I could have went wrong either way, but um, yeah, that was a, the, the the path I chose at the time, Adelphi University. So Chris, obviously I've known you since at least 1989, but I did some research. Obviously we're all caught up in all worlds and I knew some of this, not all of it. 12 years MLS, MLS best 11, 98, 99, 2000, 2001, 2003. MLS All-Star 98, 99, 2000, 2001, 2003, 2004. MLS Comeback Player of the Year 2003. MLS Cup 1998, Supporter Shield 2003. U.S. Open Cup 1998, 2000, 2003, 2006 with the Chicago Fire. U.S. Soccer, CONCACAF Gold Cup Champions 2002, 2005. I'm just talking about the playing. We'll deal with the coaching a little bit later. I think I got this right. You can correct me if I'm wrong. I believe you had two devastating knee injuries. I believe. Yeah. And I at inopportune times. Can you describe for the listeners when it happened, what it affected, the emotions you felt, and obviously some of the opportunities that were affected? Some people say I was unlucky, right? And it it's easy to see why. I missed two World Cups in which both times I was part of those World Cup teams. And in both times, I actually was starting for the national team when we qualified for those World Cups. And the first one, 2002, I got hurt in one of the send-off games. So essentially, I'm, I'm, I'm on the, the roster heading to Korea with the team. And in a friendly against Uruguay, I, I tore my ACL. I think it must have been nine or ten days before getting on the plane. But everything was set. I'm going to the World Cup. And yeah, it was it was a non-contact injury. Uh, hard to know why. Uh, I was a I'm a guy that actually played an entire career in life without injuries, but I you know the soft tissue injuries, muscle pulls, these things were not uh, something that affected me. But that ACL kept me out of the World Cup back in 2002, which was difficult because yeah, you miss out on the World Cup. You miss out. You're, you're part of the four years leading up. I played a lot of minutes and a big part of that or a part of it and maybe a, a, a dream, a childhood dream, a, a dream of mine got cut short there. Um, I worked my way back into the national team after, as you mentioned before, I, I came back and recovered in 2003. I really came back strong. MLS awarded me a, a comeback player of the year award. And uh, most importantly, I came back strong and, and back to myself. But uh, along the way, yeah, my sights were set on 2006. Um, 
end of 2005 in a playoff game from in Major League Soccer, Chicago Fire, I, I tore my other ACL and my other knee. This one wasn't as dramatic, seemingly because, you know, I had I had some time to get back, <clears throat> about six months, and although I made it back and played 90 minutes, which is not uh, recommended these days, I played 90 minutes six months later, which was was a quick recovery. You know, Bruce Arena was the coach, and they they knew I was mostly back. But to be fair, he you know it's to go play with and against the best in the world. Uh, probably need a little more time, but I did everything I could. But I missed that World Cup as well, and uh, yeah. So that's that was the two experiences: difficult mentally, uh, difficult physically, challenges challenges uh, an athlete in in big ways, mentally for sure. Something that's you know, not talked about all the time, but as they say, you know, uh, you come back stronger in many ways, which I think I did. When you recovered and won the comeback of the year award, fully 100% back, normal, no problems? Uh, it took some time. By by the mid to end of 2003, I, um, I was back. The challenge that I had after the 2002 World Cup or the surgery I had was I had a, a, an infection in my knee, a uh, staph infection which was just insult to injury because I'm, 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 as the World Cup is going on, I'm watching it on the television from a hospital room with infection in my knee and another, I had to have another surgery to clean out my knee. But I'll, te- I'll tell you, in that moment when you're in a hospital and you know, you're fighting a staph infection where it's a bad infection in your bloodstream, you're just hoping that you get healthy. You almost don't care about soccer anymore. Um, right, right. It's more about life and, and recovering from that that made the recovery a little tougher because I had to have a couple more surgeries, clean out the knee. The physical therapy got pushed back a little bit and it just took a little more time. But 2003, middle of the year, I was really strong. By the end of the year, with my club team, Chicago Fire, went to the, the conference championship, then on to MLS Cup uh, final, in which we lost in LA to San Jose, 4-2, I think. So, yeah, but it was a it was a... A good year. I came back really, really strong. Chris, I'll kick it back to Ralph in one second, but from a playing standpoint, and because you're such a humble, unassuming guy, you had a fantastic career. The accomplishments, the mental toughness to get back after a couple where other guys might, especially the second injury, might pack it in uh, and it might crumble them, might crumble them as a a man. And obviously your intestinal fortitude, your mental toughness – uh, and again, you're such a quiet, unassuming guy with what I can tell from my dealing with you over the years. No ego. Uh, just a fantastic playing career. And thank you for what you did to help grow the league, help grow up the national team as a player. And certainly being from Ralph in my hometown in Brentwood, we are so proud of you for what you did as a player. Ralph, I'll take it back to you. Well, Chris, I'll, I'll, I want to turn the clock back even further because I remember the first time I – saw you play and I don't, you know, you've had a great career as, as we all know, but that will turn it way back to your days with the Long Island Rough Riders with Alfonso Mondello and you guys would come down to Virginia beach, to do a little quick preseason. And we'd always, and we played you at old dominion as one of your last games before you went back to Long Island. And I, I remember seeing after the game, I went to Alfonso. I said, I don't know many. I know, Obviously, Tony, and I know this guy I've heard about, Salvaresi, but this guy 
I wanted to see play the most was Amos because my brother Ray had told me about you because he was hoping you would come to Brentwood. I I just really from that moment on followed you, and and what I want to where I want to go with this is that that Rough Riders experience, and then that'll lead me to the next question. But tell us a little bit about that because you you know there was no MLS then. That was a, a, a great team, a good league to play, and share that that league and that experience. Yeah, listen, it's you know it's the timing. If you're if you're an athlete these days, you make a lot more money. You got exposed to lot, lots more resources and things like that. But I always said the timing was right for me. You know, I graduated college and Major League Soccer was being talked about after the '94 World Cup. Um, I graduated college in 94, but at that very moment, Long Island Rough Riders started, which was the USISL was a, a pretty, you know, well-established pro league. Uh, some say semi-pro. I mean, you're getting paid to play. So there might have been 60 or 70 teams in the country and all these different conferences. And Yeah, Jim Kilmeade and Alfonso Mondello essentially we're, we're at the forefront from the soccer end of things. And, and Jim Kilmeade met with me and offered me a contract to be part of that team. Alfonso wanted me uh, on his team as well. And yeah, that was incredible because as college was a step up from club ball, the USISL and the Rough Riders was a step up from college ball. You were playing with professionals and um, older players and a lot of foreign players, but some really good, good players and in front of, 5,000 people in Long Island that we were doing. Tony Miola was on the team. Savarese. Uh, there's a long list of of top players, some that went on to MLS. But that was such a great team that they put together, those guys. And some say, and I believe it, it could have been a Major League Soccer team. Imagine you know, if we could have got Donadoni, Tav Ramos, some of the guys that went to New York, uh, Metro Stars at the time. I think we could have competed in a big way in, in Major League Soccer. But that was incredible because for two years, as Major League Soccer was being put together, I got to play and uh, experience professional soccer and traveling around the country a bit. And uh, again, the next level, uh, more tactics, more things like that. So, yeah, we won a championship in the second year, uh, I believe it was. It was the first year. We won a championship with the Rough Riders, which was, you know, the first real taste of saying, hey, if to be the best in the country at anything at any given time is was was an incredible accomplishment, and I do think it set a real tone for what the rest of my career would 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 look like in terms of just competing for championships. And I was able to do that for my entire career, which I, I feel fortunate to be part of good teams. That brings me to you know, as you're saying, the '96, and uh, I had the the great honor of going to work with the, leaving Old Dominion and going to work with Mr. Eddie Fermani with the Metro Stars and. Uh, uh, that whole draft that we had the supplementary draft, which you were involved in. And I remember my good friend, one of my best friends in the game, Mr. Lothar Asianda, you know, coming over to me and, and asking me, what do you think of this guy? I said, why am I going to tell you? I want that guy. I said to Lothar, I said, Lothar, this is just my, my feeling. You, if you want a good player, this is the guy you got to grab. We were talking about it this morning. And, you know, we, we still talk about it all the time. And he says, you know, it was the best advice, best choice he made in building that Galaxy team in 96, where you guys got off to the magic start. And I remember if you could talk about that, because I was on the other bench 
against you. We had almost 70,000 fans in the Rose Bowl opening game. Great ambiance. Uh, the field was pristine. And if you want to just share with our, our listeners about that whole experience, because as you mentioned, USL had 5,000. Now all of a sudden you're playing in front of 70,000. Opening game of Major League Soccer, New York, L.A., and uh, that whole two-year yeah. experience here the Galaxy. Things were so not established at that point with Major League Soccer and how are you going to get drafted and what's going on with this. They were it almost felt like, and we knew it was was the case, making th- rules up as they were going along. <laughs> so, but to be fair, I mean, look at the job they've done, right, where we are now um, in Major League Soccer. But um, it had to start somewhere. And I was just hoping that I'd get drafted. And I would have went anywhere, of course. I would have went anywhere to play. But, of course, you, you're, you have a dream to play in your backyard with the Metro Stars in New York, the pro team in front of your family and friends. The day before the draft, Bruce Arena actually came up to me in the hotel and asked me, hey, and he was with, uh, I think it was uh, still Atano from, from the Metro Stars, and said, hey, we're, we're both interested in drafting you. Would you have a preference of where you went? I mean, I couldn't believe it. I, I just, I actually said, I don't, it doesn't matter. And, you know, Coach Arena, Mr. Arena, I know you you have a track record of winning in Virginia, and, and I'd love to play for you, but, hey, it's my hometown too, so I, I – I just want to get drafted. Well, the phone rang the next day. I thought it was a joke being played on me because I was told I got drafted by the LA Galaxy in the first round, number six overall. And I actually thought it was someone from New York that I knew, Chris Unger, who was like joking. But quickly I realized he's not joking. We're sending you plane tickets. We've started preseason because it was a supplemental draft, you know, get on the plane and come out here, which that started, that kick started the, the, the professional life. Um, and yeah, opening day when the, the, the folks in LA said, and I think it was Lothar Osiander said, yeah, guys, look, tomorrow we're gonna have a big crowd. You know, it's, it's 20, 30,000 people are expected. We're like, holy, holy shit, you know, uh, to come out of the tunnel and, and see the, the Rose bowl that full, to hear 69,000 people to win two to one at home against New York at the end. And to be fair, it didn't matter who it was against. Just, I, I, I remember after the game walking down out the, the, the locker room, like almost in tears, getting to the payphone to call my parents back home to say, you have no idea. I started the game. I played, we won. Like it was, this is what it was like. Um, absolute mayhem at the Rose Bowl when even from a security standpoint they were ready they were geared up for 20 30,000 and they got they got uh flooded so yeah that year uh Lothar they built a great team a really good team we had we went to the final that year we lost in the final uh 3-2 to DC United and we had a good year the next year as well and then I got traded to Chicago but anyhow it was that kickstarted things for me. Yeah, and I know you were one of the people that identified me as as where a lot of people didn't identify me as uh, maybe a young talent, but I I do appreciate that. I know uh, you know you've spoken to Octavio Zambrano too, and, and made sure he knew about me that second year. So yeah, appreciate that. Well, Chris, it was my pleasure. You know, because you you got a real uniqueness to you uh, as far as uh, what you've done and 
And it was really funny. Uh, our paths crossed, but never really came together. Because after I got fired in Metro Stars, Bob Bradley had talked to me about coming to Chicago. And I was, uh, I had both offers on the table, Chicago, LA. But, you know, the, the one thing uh, that really happened, you went to Chicago and you guys lit it up again, like your first year with LA, you do the double. Not only did you win the Open Cup, you won the MLS Cup. Talk about that 98 first year expansion team being coached by Bob Bradley, who I think is one of the best guys that we've developed as American coaches in, in this our system. And share that one. Yeah, look, I, I just I said it earlier, but as some say, you're unlucky, Chris Armis. I mean, think look how lucky I was to actually my whole entire career just how how fortunate I was to to find good situations, starting with Adelphi, then with Alfonso Mandelo and, and the Rough Riders, then with the Galaxy, which was an incredible, incredible team. Uh, I would have stayed there if it wasn't for Bob Bradley trading for me in Chicago, but we were dominant with the Galaxy those first few years, playing in finals. And then Bob Bradley picks me up in an expansion draft, or a trade actually, that I thought I was safe, meaning I wasn't going anywhere because I actually got protected, meaning, hey, you guys can the rest all you guys uh might be exposed to, to this expansion draft but chris you are protected you can't go anywhere i said great because i love la i thought in my mind and i agreed to it you know and if i if i was if if la was willing to give me up and bob Bradley could work the trade i would i would go because that means they they're willing to get rid of me which bob actually he orchestrated a, a big trade and uh, yeah, to actually go in 1998, the year you got traded, to go back at the end of 98 with the Chicago Fire to win MLS Cup in the Rose Bowl, that's pretty special. And again, I was really fortunate. But um, we we were you know when you're an expansion team, of course, no one really expects that much from you on the outside. On the inside, we knew we were a, a good team. And we had a, had a lot of belief, but we also played with that chip on your shoulder, which oftentimes the underdogs do. So that year, we, you know, again, it was it was an expansion team, of course, by definition. But that was an experienced MLS team in terms of Peter Novak, Pabrosny, Kosecki, uh, Lubos Kubik, Frankie Klopas, Francis Okara. We had a nice balance of veteran players international stars world cup veterans young professionals um guys like myself cj brown jesse marsh ante raza i mean you had a a nice list of guys that went on to have big careers and we really had a good a good obviously the one that doubled that year so yeah incredible year 1998 and at the end of that year not only did we win the double meaning the open cup and the mls cup that's when i got my first uh international cap uh, with the United States national team and Bruce Arena. So you touched on this with Coach Perez. He played for LA and Chicago, if I'm correct, just two teams. Yes. Talk about the two head coaches you played for and their characteristics and their approaches, how they may be the same or be different. Yeah. Well, the first few years was Lothar Osiander and, and Octavio Zambrano. I mean, because Octavio had taken over the second year they had let go and made a coaching change with uh, Lothar, but 
Lothar Osiander, a German coach who, uh, look, I, I'd say that the similarities between him and Bob Bradley, they're very detail-oriented. They worked extremely hard. They had a real serious side of, of all about the work. Both guys, I think, had a really keen eye for players. Each guy had a, a real enjoyment and uh, love for tactics. And I think each coach there could really push guys and get the be the most out of them. Now, I spent a lot more time around Bob, but, you know, Lothar, I think, yeah, when, when it was all starting out, he really, I think, was tactical and, and, and intelligent with the game and um, very, some say these days, pragmatic, but I think just very, we were organized, we had good structure, we had clarity with and without the ball. You know, so, so Bob was like that in many ways. I think Bob had even more fire, it seemed. You know, Bob was, uh, Bob Bradley, you know, could get in your face and emotional and and, and sitting down with you in front of the, the TV and the VCR at that time and showing you plays and clips. And he'd have a piece of paper out and say, okay, Chris, sit down. And this minute, you know, could you look over your shoulder? And this minute, could you switch the field? You know, it's it always could be better. So... They were both very, very direct uh, with their messaging, and, and they both cared about their players. Bob, I just had more time, so I got to see more of the detailed approach. And in Chicago, I just got, was, was we had a more, you know, at that time in L.A., you didn't have a facility. You know, you're showing up in your car and makeshifting facility, showing up at the Rose Bowl. In Chicago, we had a real home base, so I got to see Bob working with, with, with in front of the TV a bit more and showing up early, leaving late. So yeah, it's uh, similar in many ways, actually. But yeah, I can speak more about Bob's role. And Octavio, I think, you know, he coached me in MLS. And he, I think the difference with Octavio, he he uh, a lot more expression in, in the game and, and some, some uh, you know, it was, it was, it was much more emphasis on expressing yourself and playing a lot more and you know, enjoying the game differently that way. And it was much more expressive. Um, so, yeah, I got exposed to some really good coaches uh, throughout my career. And, and all of them were winners, actually, which was good for me. That's a perfect segue. So I know you, I believe you were the assistant coach for a bit at Red Bull. You were the head coach of Red Bull 2018 through 2020. And I believe won the Supporters Shield in 2018. You're then the head coach of Toronto FC for 2021. And then you just came off a great assignment with Man Manchester United as the assistant for the latter part of the 2022 season. I'll let Ralph touch on the MLS in a minute. But you spent six months at Man U with the first team as a, as a main assistant, a guy in the middle of things. If you could, explain what the experience was like and what it was like to work day-to-day -day at one of the best clubs in the world and the challenges of dealing with the elite athletes in the world in soccer – and things not completely going to, to plan how the club wanted to go at the end of the year as a team. Well, look, I, I think you know, it was it was heaven sent again. When I, I can touch on the lucky, not lucky. Yeah, I, I get fired from one job. I had ten or eleven games. I'm, I only got to coach uh, in Toronto. Not even a home game. It was a tough. This was a tough one. Uh, you'd say. Cause I'm not sure this happens to anyone where you don't um, we barely got started and uh, they made a coaching change, which I think you can even see these days that's with Bob Bradley. It's 
that needed a that needed time and some change, which I wasn't given that. But fair enough. I found myself uh, three or four months later at Manchester United, and I wouldn't have been there if it wasn't for that experience and the way that that went. It doesn't really matter how you get there. Sometimes I'm there. I'm at I'm at Carrington. I'm, I'm at the training facility, walking the ground, working the ground. That's Sir Alex Ferguson. Uh, and those guys laid the groundwork all those years. But the experience was incredible. It was challenging because of, you know, why Ralph Rangnick, the, the head, the, you know, the manager, uh, and he brought me and a couple of others. But he was asked and tasked to come there to try to help and stabilize a, a, a pretty shaky uh, situation, which it was when we got there. I knew that I'd have a six-month six months to, to be part of that, a six month contract. Uh, Ralph also had a, you know, Ralph Rangnick had a six month contract and these so-called talks of maybe a advisory role after that, that never happened. But um, yeah, look, it, it was just really, you, you find yourself right away. When I got there three days later, two assistant coaches that were running things on a day-to-day training sessions and all this left. Kieran McKenna got hired. I think he was in the championship at Ipswich and took the other guy with him. So I'm, I'm running sessions right away. And this was obviously, you know, it's it's uh, not what I thought it'd be ex- right away, but I loved it because I loved having that type of, uh, I mean, if I'm going to be there, you might as well throw everything at, at that experience. And I wasn't going there to, to be a fly on the wall. You know, I was going there to give as much as I ca- can and whatever is needed I'm going to provide to the best of my ability. So right away, establishing uh, yourself as the guy thinking about a lot of those things, working with the manager to try to come up with uh, what the team needs, whether it's tactically, whether it's uh, philosophically from style of play, which was a change that we were trying to bring straight away. But at the same time, trying to be a guy that that players can, uh, you know, gain some respect for it so you can work with guys like Cristiano and, and Paul Pogba. And, you, you know, you go down the list of, of a star studded roster. That's again, it's, it's, it's in a situation where they're needing some help and, and trying to bring this whole thing together over the first 20 something games. I think it was a Ralph Rangnick accomplished that. And I, you know, we were the support staff, but I, I do think, I don't know the statistic. I'd have to go look at, we didn't lose much in, in the first 20, 25 games. We we tied some games We that that for sure we let things slip. But it, I think in terms of stabilizing things, conceding less goals, controlling games more, we did that. That's factual. But um, we we had a Champions League sprinkled in there, which was incredible, at Atletico Madrid. Uh, we draw 1-1. Then we come home and lose one nothing in a game that probably is good enough for the draw. Um, but we we get eliminated from Champions League in that back end of the season. And for the last 10 games, it was even tougher because the motivation within the group, I think that specific group, maybe any top top club where that's the that's the goal, you know, top four for sure. And, and moving on in Champions League, it, it, it started slipping away a little bit out of the grasp and didn't change the way I worked every day, to be honest with you. In fact, I worked as even harder um, to try to try to finish in that top four. In the end, we finished in the top six. We had Europa League, and that was a that was a fight in itself. But I think 
I think it was overall incredible experience. Had ups, downs. We, If we have time on the call, we can talk specifically. It might be some questions, but I think the success in the job there, which it's hardly a success to certain people, but I know being on the inside over there, that situation could have crumbled. When you have that many big-time players that are having a difficulty in, in, in getting, o- getting over the hump, that that could have imploded in a big way where you could have finished 10th, 12th, mid-table. But to finish in the top six, to have things stabilized, to I think it was the Arsenal game you know, in the final stretch where, we're, where we missed a penalty, but we needed to win that game. That was we're fighting for fourth. Um, so we, were, we put the team in a, in a place to succeed. And in the end, we gave our best um, to the club and to each, uh, each player there to honor the opportunity. So I'm grateful for it and uh, better for it. You talked about you went from a player. Now, all of a sudden, you find yourself as an assistant coach. What do you think was the biggest adjustment you had to go from now, not being on the field to play, and now you're an assistant coach? Well, two things. One, my first taste of assistant coaching was 2008. It was the year or the month after I retired from playing. So in 2007, I'm in a conference championship month and a half later, I'm, I'm on a coaching staff with Dennis Hamlet in Chicago. I did that for one year. Right. The biggest challenge for me then was I thought too much like a player still. And I think that's a good thing to never forget what, so you can always feel what the players feel. But in my mind, I still wanted to be out there. I had a hip injury that just, meaning I couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't meet the demands at 37 years old. I played till I was 37, I think, years old. I, I couldn't, well, no, 35 maybe. I, I couldn't do it anymore. But my brain thought, and I, I wanted to do it, and my heart still had fire to play. So now crossing over to be uh, an assistant coach, it was almost like uh, you're weaning yourself off a drug. I never took drugs, uh, but that's, the, as you'd say, the drug for me was soccer, that addiction of soccer. Years later, 2015, the biggest adjustment with the New York Red Bulls working with Jesse Marsh is when you're a player, to work the way I did in 2015, it's completely different. Coaching is difficult. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of time. You're not showing up and three hours later going home uh, and home by noon, one o'clock. It's full days. It's details. It's video. It's cutting video. It's tactics. It's studying. It's, you know. Uh, in German, it's, it's they say knock them spiel or sport them spiel. I think it's after the game is before the game. Every time one game ends, the next one, your mind is already on the next one. And you, I know you guys know this because you're coaches, but this is the – and when you're a, an assistant coach, you don't stop thinking about it. And Jesse Marsh is a worker. I'm a worker, but he works his ass off. So if he works his ass off, you better believe I'm working my ass off. And together – so. I was commuting 55 miles from Long Island to Jersey. So I'm commuting for three hours a day, essentially. I'm working full days. That's the biggest difference or the biggest, you know, the biggest one for me. I can relate to that, my man. Um, now you go from an assistant coach of MLS to head coach. What, what do you think was, the, you know, the, obviously you move over in the seat but and you stand more than you sit. What, what was that yeah. adjustment? I'd say... Probably two things, the biggest things. Again, not just, you know, when you're an assistant coach and you become a head coach, the biggest thing is that for me, the biggest adjustment is whether you like it or not, or whether your assistants understand it or not, 
when you're the head coach, it's all on you. It's not all on you, but it is all on you from the outside. You take the, you take some credit along the way. I think you take more heat along the way. If you think you had to think a lot of the little things as an assistant coach, now in the way I was running things as a head coach, my my mind and brain never stopped of the details. You're always thinking of each player of of the guy that's starting and the captain and the, and the Bradley Wright Phillips. And then you're also thinking about that, the guy lower on the roster or the injured guy or the Academy kid that's coming into training, or you're thinking of so many different things. And then there's media and how you want to control those conversations and dialogue. Then there's uh, your support staff and you're trying to push guys around you and, and hit the details every single day. And that's the biggest challenge that you want to do that every single day and repeat and repeat. So for me, it's that it's all the details. It doesn't stop. And that it's every day. And if it sounds like guys like me, uh, that's a burden. We love it. We love that. You know, I love being a head coach because I think I, I do have a pretty good handle on, on some of those details and what, what adds up. The other big challenge for me in New York where the challenge was that you take over from an assistant on the same team. So if you're a really good assistant coach, you, that means you kind of had a really good secondary voice, a, a supplementary, complementary, under the radar a little bit, little side conversations, pick up the pieces for your head coach. And if you're really good at that, then do the guys really see you as a head coach? And I had to step from one day to the next. I It was mid-season. Wasn't, I didn't have a, an off-season to prepare. I, the, the next day, I'm showing up as the head coach. When you stand in front of that room, you have to – convince the guys that you can be the leader, not just one of the leaders, the leader. And I think it, it was probably one of my proudest accomplishments, meaning when we took over, when I took over mid 2018, again, this could go in, in a few ways, but I, that second half of the year, we ramped things up even more. We had more wins. I think more, a few more points. We, we, we set the best record of all time in major league soccer and one, I was part of the entire year, but I was head of things that second part of the year, and we went to the conference championship. Uh, unfortunately, we lose uh, to Atlanta, and we don't get to play in the final. But, um, yeah, that was the big challenge, and I was very deliberate how I showed up every day to make that work. Well, thank you for sharing all that. Uh, yeah, my pleasure. But more importantly, uh, I just want to say that uh, when you, you start throwing names around Dennis Hamlin, and then you say Bill Manning and – all the guys you've mentioned previously, uh, like Jesse Marsh just now, uh, all these people are, 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 are fantastic people in our game and have served our game tremendously well in their capacities. But I want to go something for our audience now because it's now the Brentwood part of me. What was it really like for you and your family when Coach Ray Reed comes in to do all this? <laughs> you said your family will never forget it, so what was it? Listen, when you're – when you're a humble kid like that age, what, how old? I don't know, 18, 17. I'm a young kid going, getting ready for the, for the next thing. I'm scared SHIT. Coaches coming to your house. Like, you know, it's, it was cool. You have a college coach. He's the only one that came to my house. And it, it just felt special. He made me feel really important and special. He made my mom and dad, they, they still talked about it. They remember that day that you, you have a college coach coming into your home to offer your son a scholarship and to play for a university. 
to go get a college degree. Like this is a kid coming from Brentwood, a family. My mom and dad were young parents and coming from Brentwood. It was always get you got to get that college degree. And I think that gave us a first chance to, to maybe have that chance to do that. So it was intimidating for me. Uh, we always remember it. And I'm really grateful that he, he uh, thought that much of me and us. But it was pretty, pretty cool. Chris, I say this to you in all sincerity. Three quarters because of the play you are, a quarter because of the person you are and where you're from. One of my biggest failures as a coach was not getting you to come up there to play for us. And obviously, the next 30 years from 1990, I really failed when I saw all you accomplished as a player and a coach, and your coaching career will, will continue. You're a big athlete, so I'm sure you've heard of Michael Kay. A couple things from his show. First thing comes to your mind. Best memory as a professional player? Winning MLS Cup 1998. Best memory as a youth high school player or growing up in the game before Adelphi? Yeah, it was is, uh, 1990 uh, high school championship. St. Anthony's, where I went, we beat St. John's, where no one in a million years thought we would, but we won 1-0. One person in a foxhole, do or die, who's that person in the foxhole with you? Uh, my dad. I had the pleasure of meeting his dad on a couple times. Great guy, great family, Mrs. Armas. Great family, great time. Uh, last thing, to both of you, I'm honored to be doing this today. I had great respect for Ralph's brother. He was my high school coach, my guidance counselor. His untimely death in 1995 allowed me to meet Ralph. Ralph's been at the World Cup in 90, you know, MLS 20 years a great icon in our game and a great guy for me to learn from. And then to have a guy that grew up in my neighborhood who's done it the right way. There's a lot of guys with ego and there's a lot of guys that don't get it right. You got it right, Chris Amos. You got it right every step of the way. And only you can look at two ACLs that cost you two World Cups and spin it around to you in the right place at the right time for the Long Island Rough Riders, Manchester United, LA Galaxy. And to, to be on a thing with you two from Brentwood, who would have thought that you two guys with all your international and professional experience from exit 54 on the LIA. So it's been a great, this has been great for me. I wish we could go another hour. Uh, I'm honored to be on with you, Chris. I'm honored to be on with you, Ralph. And Chris, I know how busy you are. I can't thank you enough for being on. Now, you guys, uh, again, where I started, I, I, I respect uh, two of my mentors, both of you. And that both of you saw something special in me early on where probably I, I don't think a lot of people did. And uh, yeah, we're all part of the same uh, soccer world, but even more so are the same hometown. And yeah, this is like a couple of friends getting together. Uh, it's a privilege, guys, to spend a little bit of time with you. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening to For the Love of the Game with Ralph and Ray. Be sure to leave us a review and follow this podcast on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss an episode. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk with you next time.